Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather. I pray we would never take that lightly. Not only that we have the freedom to do that, God, but you meet us when we do that. There's something about the gathering of your people that you meet us here. You speak to us. You work with us. You work in us. And so, God, I pray now as we, as the people of God, open ourselves up to the word of God that you would, by your spirit, God, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, build us up as we talked about last week. We believe, God, that you and you alone have the power to do that. And so, God, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts to see, to hear, to know, believe, live out. Give us the grace because we want to be good stewards of all that you've given us. And now, God, as always, I pray that you'd help me to communicate this in a way that honors you and is helpful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, we're in Acts chapter 20. We've been hanging out there for a couple weeks. We're going to start there again today. I'm going to give you a couple of supporting texts in 1 Timothy and the book of Ephesians because I've been telling you that this text in Acts chapter 20 is Paul giving instruction to the Ephesian elders, the leaders at the church of Ephesus. And then after this series, we're going to dig into the book of Ephesians. And I want to show you these other kind of corresponding verses, not only because they fit into what we're discussing here in Acts 20, but it also shows you just how your Bible is connected and how these books kind of all work together and are saying similar things, but I just want to show you how they fit as well. So we'll be in 1 Timothy and Ephesians 1 for a little bit as well. But this text is uh, really kind of framed out our series for us that we've called Sacred Stewardship. And the idea is that God has entrusted us with not only our souls when he created us, but now he's entrusted us, those of us that are in Christ, he's entrusted us with our salvation. He has worked on our behalf, and that's primarily what Acts chapter 20, verse 28 is built on, this indicative, imperative combo that I talked, uh, talked about for the last several weeks. You can go back and listen to those messages if you haven't seen it. But we are commanded to do something based upon what God has first done. God has worked. God has made us. God has saved us. Acts 20, 28 says he's obtained us. And now the Holy Spirit has made us. And so therefore, we are called to be responsible managers or stewards of that. And that's why Paul gives the command to pay careful attention to. And there's two primary things that he tells us in this text to pay careful attention to. The first is yourself. The second is the flock or the people that you are responsible for. And so last week we started talking about yourself and we're going to spend one more week on that. We're going to double up. All right. So you're getting a double dip today. So you should feel good about this. You're not getting one scoop. You're getting two. All right. So I hope you can receive that today. So we're going to talk about ourselves again this week, and then we'll get into the flock next week. So let's go Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Again, this is the main text for the series. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Again, so you see what he did, and now we know what we are to do, which is to pay careful attention to. The reason why I wanted to spend one more week on paying careful attention to ourselves is because we multiply what we are. We reproduce what we are. And so we can only care for those that God has entrusted to us in the way that we are caring for ourselves. And again, that's not selfish. It's just starting where you need to start. And that's why we ended last week's message saying, if we're going to be good stewards of what God has given to us, what he's entrusted to us, we must entrust ourselves to God and his word. And so we looked at how, and we had the verses here on the screen, how the reason why this is so important is because people within the church will even rise up and speak twisted things to you. So really the very first thing you have to examine when it talks about paying careful attention to yourself is what do you believe? What is the doctrine that you're building your life on? What's the foundation of your belief system? It must be the word of God because only it is able to build you up. And again, to correspond with that, I want us to go over now to first, uh, first Timothy chapter one, verse three and four. Again, you can turn there if you want, but as always, we'll have it here on the screen. And this is where I wanna show you the connection. Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, this, this truth, pay careful attention to yourself. And then he goes on and Timothy goes with him. But then later on, Paul sends Timothy to the church at Ephesus to pastor it, to make sure that they are doing this because some people, lo and behold, have risen up and are speaking some twisted things. So look at the instruction that Paul gives Timothy here in 1 Timothy chapter one. He says, as I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. All right, so you see the connection now. So Timothy's in Ephesus trying to do what Paul had instructed in Acts chapter 20. He says, I told you to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons, here it is, not to teach any different doctrine. Not to teach any different doctrine. Verse four, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than, and here's the other connection I wanted you to see, rather than what? Let's try that again if you're new. All right, come on, Jasper, you as well. Rather than what? Stewardship, Stewardship from God that is by faith. So he sends Timothy. He said, listen, I instructed them in Acts 20. Timothy, you were with me. You heard what I said, that they were to pay careful attention. But now he has to send Timothy to follow up on that to make sure because anybody who has ever been a parent or a leader or a boss knows that when you tell people something, they forget it. Right, So he sends Timothy to say, hey, I need you to go make sure they're not teaching any doctrine. Remember, I entrusted you, I, I charged you to do this. What's also cool to me in verse four, when he says, and tell them not to devote themselves to myths and genealogies. That word there, devote themselves, is the exact same Greek word of verse 28, pay careful attention to. 
It's the exact same word. Pay careful attention to. So he's reminding them of what he said. He says, hey, tell them to not pay careful attention to myths and genealogies. Why? Because they promote speculations. They promote speculations. And as I was thinking about this, again, I wanted to show you this verse because of its connection. Also, so you can see where we got the title stewardship from. And I told you what stewardship means. It's the Greek word economia. It's where we get our English word economy. So it's talking about the economy of the kingdom of God, how things work. And if we're going to be good stewards of stewardship, we have to be managers, good managers in God's economy or God's kingdom. And then I started thinking about it. Well, what makes us bad managers? And it's interesting what Paul says here. Remember, I told you we're talking another week about paying careful attention to yourselves. So what is it that we really need to pay careful attention to? Well, let me give you this point, and then I'll unpack it. Don't let speculations sidetrack your stewardship. Don't let speculations sidetrack your stewardship. Here's what I mean. See, the devil, once you are in Christ, he can't unsave you. He can't get you. Jesus describes it, you're in his hands. And when I talked last week, if you were here, I made a statement. I was talking about repentance and twisted things and, and turn away. I said the only sin that sends your soul to hell is unconfessed sin. And what I meant by that is not after you're saved, then you don't confess a sin. What I'm saying is if you don't live a life of confession, if you've never confessed your sin, if you're thinking you don't even need to confess your sin. And so someone that's not a confessor, they're not confessing their sin. They don't live a lifestyle of confession. They've never confessed Christ. Then you are outside and the devil has access to you, right? which means you will be punished in hell with him. And I think that's a failure a lot of times for us to think about the devil's not running hell. In fact, the devil's not in hell. He's here, which always kind of trips people out. And I get it, it's scary. But he ain't down there with horns and a pitchfork. Hell was made for him. God is the one who runs hell because he's the judge. I mean, it's like prison. It's not like... The, the chief person of the prison that's running the gang is in charge. No, they're being punished as well. So if you're in Christ, the devil has no access to your eternal soul. But you know what he does do? He distracts you. He'll distract you. And he'll do it by getting people even within the church to start teaching some twisted stuff, some different doctrines, which is why discipleship to Jesus is so important. It's why the Great Commission says, go into all the world baptizing and teaching them to obey. But here's what I want you to see. Just like the greatest threat to your eternal soul is unconfessed sin that's not in Christ, the greatest threat 
to disrupting you being a good steward? Is the devil distracting you with all this other outside noise? Getting you to focus on myths. Let me, let me say it like this. I know this, this won't be current at all, but getting you to focus on things like stolen elections. Getting you to focus on sidetracking you with endless online conversations that ain't nothing but speculations designed to sidetrack you. Let me say it like this. When you're standing before God, we'll get into this more in just a second. When you're standing before God, if you're in Christ, again, you're, you are saved. But we gotta understand there's two judgments. There's the eternal judgment, you know, look, with God, without God, heaven or hell. But then there's a second one for believers where what we do is judged and then we'll be rewarded based upon that. So when you're standing before God and God says, hey, what did you do? First question is, what'd you do with Jesus? Second question is, what'd you do with my word? Did you obey it? So you're standing before God and he's laying out all the things that you didn't obey. And if your answer is, Lord, I don't know if you saw the 2020 election. <laughs> but whew, man, let me just tell you something. It really sidetracked my obedience. You think the devil's, or, or the devil, the Lord's gonna be like, well, that makes sense. No, but think about this. How many times do we blame circumstances for our bad stewardship? We blame circumstances for our bad stewardship. Well, Lord, you don't, you don't know who I was married to. Well, I kind of do, because I kind of made them. And maybe... I put you together with them to force you to look in the mirror. But you kept blaming them for your lack of obedience. See how the devil can sidetrack your stewardship with all these speculations? Why do you think Paul instructed Timothy, go there and charge people to not teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves, pay attention to, same word in Acts 20, 28, don't pay attention to all those myths and all those genealogies and all that speculation. Why? Because it distracts you from the stewardship from God, that's by faith. Now listen, I'm not saying you can't get involved in civic things. I pray to God you do. I can't say, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in political things. We should. But what we can't say is, well, my person didn't win. And so therefore, it's really messed up my obedience to God. Like, what does the president have to do with your obedience? 
Because here's what you need to know. That person, even if they're the greatest thing since sliced bread or in our country, only there for eight years at the max. And what if, it's just a thought. What if God didn't let your person win as a test to see if you'd still trust him and do the right thing? See, the devil loves division and distraction. But it has no bearing, none, on your stewardship. In fact, it's amazing to me when the disciples were in the upper room waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit to empower them. The first thing that they did when the Holy Spirit came upon them was not run to the halls of the politicians. They went out to the people and preached. Isn't it amazing how we as Christians feel like if we're not in power, that we have no power? Man, we have got power in the name of Jesus by the person of the Holy Spirit to preach. You're like, well, they're taking away our right to preach. I know, isn't it awesome? Now, if you do it, you might go to jail. <laughs> Woo, come on, somebody. That gets me fired up. What? All these cats went to jail. In fact, most people believe Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians from jail. Oh, I got to move on. All right, I got to move on. Acts 20, 32. Acts 20, 32. Again, going back to this, this is where we ended last week. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's where we ended last week. The word of God, God, person of God, word of God, principles of God. The last week of this series, I'm gonna give you a formula because I like formulas, all right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put all this together for you. But you're starting to see it here. Person of God, principle of God, all right? God and his word. It is able to build you up, which is why you must devote yourself to it and not speculations. Forget about speculations, dwell on the scriptures. The scriptures have the power to build you up. And yes, it is true. Any nation built upon the word of God is a stronger nation, no doubt which is what our nation originally was built upon. In fact, our very laws, our very constitution, the book of Deuteronomy was quoted in that 10-year period more than any other writing. So yes, one of the things that made our nation originally great was the word of God. Because it has power to do something, to build you up. But there's a second thing that Paul says it has the ability to do. And that's what I want us to spend the rest of our time on. Not just to build you up. He says to give you the what. Come on now, we already just, let's try this again. To give you the what? The inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul uses this word Inheritance. Inheritance. That's a family word. 
You know the idea of inheritance. Maybe you know it because you didn't get none. Right? This is why in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it says, truly, godly men are those who leave an inheritance for their children's children. So the concept of inheritance is a biblical one, and the idea of it is just what you pass down to the generations after you. And here's what I need you to know. It's not if you're leaving an inheritance, it's just what kind. Is it an inheritance of trauma or triumph? Is it an inheritance of worth, which, yes, could include wealth, but it's way more than that? Is it an inheritance of principles and power and the word of God? Here's what I want you to see. If you want an inheritance, if you want to leave an inheritance, then entrust yourself to God and his word, and he says you'll have one. So now let's go to Ephesians chapter one, because I want to talk about this because it relates so perfectly to stewardship. Ephesians chapter one, which again, this is just a precursor, a foretaste of what's to come, all right? Now, I can't do, we're gonna, I just don't have time to deal with everything, so I'm about to read something that's invariably gonna bring up some questions in here, because just in church world, you say certain words, people's ears perk up, like, what's that mean? We'll get into that later, all right? But I, just, I wanted to read this text to you because I want you to see it's the same word that Paul uses here. So again, Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and he uses this word. He sent Timothy to them, and he's talking about stewardship, and then he writes the letter to them, and in chapter one of Ephesians, he's gonna use this word inheritance twice. Listen to what he says. Verse 11, chapter one of Ephesians. Paul says, in him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, we'll get into all that later. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of God or the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, here's the word again, inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, Back in Acts chapter 20, Paul was encouraging the Ephesian elders to entrust themselves to God and to his word. He said, I can, I'm, I'm entrusting you to him. Why? Because he has the power to build you up and to give you an inheritance. See, here's what we need to understand about inheritance. Inheritance is something that's coming that you don't have yet. You, you see that? It's coming, but you don't have it yet. But here's what's super cool. The Bible says we have an inheritance that's coming. Now, if you know how inheritance works, it's what the family has. Now, Jesus, the son of God, not son in the way we are sons in the sense that like he was born in, in an eternal sense, he's always existed. He's the son of God in that he's the image of God. So you got the family of God, so you got God and God's wealth or God's worth. 
Now the Bible says that the earth and everything in it is his. Now here's what's even better. The Bible also says in the book of Revelation, and it's not Revelations, singular, Revelation, all right? He says he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Because right now, heaven and earth are separated. They were combined in Genesis 1 and 2. Sin enters the world. They're separated. And when Jesus returns, he'll bring them back together. And in bringing them back together, they'll both be new. So not only does the Lord own the earth now and everything in it and heaven now and everything in it, when he combines them back together, they will be new and better. That is what he has. Now watch this. That's what's coming to you. Because if he has it and you're his kid, you got it. That's what's coming to you. That's your inheritance. And here's what's amazing to me. I don't think we talk about this enough. I don't know how much you travel, but if you travel this world and you go see beautiful things, you just see, I mean, you'll see a mountain, you'll see an ocean, and you're like, oh, it's amazing. Not only because it itself is amazing, but because you're like, how did someone think this up? That person must be more amazing than what they thought up. And so we get to travel, but there's always this point, you know, you got a bucket list, you want to travel, and you want to see everything. Well, guess, you're not going to see everything. Reason is because you ain't that rich. All right? Even if you are wealthier, you're going to see a lot of cool stuff. But here's what's amazing. You don't have to feel like you miss out because when God comes again and there's a new heaven and new earth, you're going to get to see it all then. You'll have enough time. So you'll get to go to the Swiss Alps. This is what's great. People, we're not going to be like little Cupid angels floating around in heaven. People are like, that's boring. No, you'll have a resurrected body and you'll be with God and you'll get to explore his new heaven and new earth for all eternity. Think about that. So you don't have to worry about you're missing out on it now. It's coming. You say, well, how do I know? Because Paul said he gave you a guarantee. And the guarantee is the Holy Spirit. Here's what's amazing. That word guarantee literally means deposit or down payment. Now, I don't know when you grew up or if you know this thing called layaway. I remember layaway, partly because I worked at Kmart until I got fired. True story for playing on a wheelchair. I've said that many times, it's always funny, all right? Here's what's amazing, that happened in the mid-90s, right when Kmart started tanking. Coincidence? I don't think so. What was I talking about? <laughs> Layaway, that's what it was. Thank you, appreciate that. Appreciate it. I was working at Kmart and I saw this knife, a Gerber knife. You know anything about Gerber knives or good knives? And so I, I didn't have enough, but I could put a little on it. And so I grabbed it, took it to Layaway, put on the down payment. I said, I'm gonna keep making payments on this until I, I come back and I pay for it. See, back then you didn't like, get somebody else to pay for it, and then you paid them back with interest, which is a horrible scam, which is why you shouldn't pay for things on your credit card. You're like, well, it's $10. No, it's 10 plus 19%. And 
And what's amazing now, you got this whole like pay later, like paying for thing with PayPal and other things. Some of y'all are doing that with your Starbucks drinks. I'm just crazy. But back then, you had to put a down payment on something, which was a guarantee. And if you didn't finish it, you lost it. Well, here's what's amazing. God didn't just put a down payment with money. He put a down payment with the spirit. It's a guarantee. It's a deposit that you have an inheritance coming. And this is what I want you to see. God entrusted you with your soul, with your salvation, and your stuff. And if you and I will entrust ourselves to God and his word and run our life the way he commanded us to, watch this, he'll give us more. And this is the part that I don't think we understand. We don't understand the concept of stewardship as it relates to the word of God. What you have, God gave you, and he gave it to you to manage. And if you want God to give you more, you have to steward what he gave you. See, this is where a lot of people get wrong because they let circumstances delay their obedience. Now, let me talk specifically. Stewardship isn't just about money, but I want to talk about it. This is when people love it when I do this. People say, I know, here we go, just waiting. Three weeks in, pastor's gonna talk about money. Let me just say something to you. Please don't ever say all we want is your money because I want you to know something. We want way more than that. Way more. You're like, well, I ain't never been to church where they were honest about that. Yeah, the same, your mama's church, all right? We're not that shallow. We want it all, all of you. Why? Because God wants it all. But here's what I want to try to convince you of. If you entrust it all to God, guess what's going to happen? He'll give you more. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about if you are faithful with everything God entrusted to you, he'll entrust more more leadership, more influence. See, this whole idea of inheritance that Paul was telling the Ephesian elders, he was trying to wake them up that you think this is good now? Something better is coming if you'll entrust him with what you have now. With the leadership that you have now, if you'll lead the way God has told us to lead, which is like Jesus, more is coming. So let me give you this point, and then I'm gonna show you back in the book of Acts, just so that you see I didn't get this out of anywhere, but I want you to see this. If our possessions don't possess us, then we will possess more possessions. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I was pretty proud of that alliteration, all right? And I'm not saying I need you to clap, all right? But, but I, it's, it's a tongue twister, and so I'm going to say it again. If our possessions don't possess us, then we will possess more possessions. See, it's amazing. Paul uses this word possession here. 
He said, see, the, the Holy Spirit was a down payment on the inheritance that's to come until we acquire possession of it, until we receive it. It's coming. More possessions are coming. But here's where, this is what I want you to see. Here's where we start believing some twisted things or we let speculation sidetrack us and derail our obedience, particularly, yes, in even the area of our wealth, which is why Proverbs says, honor God with your wealth, then your barns will be full. And this is where people say, well, pastor, you know, I can't afford to tithe. And my word to you is, you can't afford not to. And, and this is one of my favorites, and I'm not trying to be snarky, I'm really not, but one of my favorites is when people say, well, I'm a New Testament giver. I don't believe in Tithing's Old Testament. You know what I say? Praise God, so you do more than 10? And, and my real, real favorite is when people quote 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So, well, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, each one should determine in his heart what to give. You're right. Above 10, you should determine it. You should determine it because Paul wasn't talking about the tithe there. He was raising money for the Jerusalem church. That's called an offering. You get to determine that. But here's what, and, and what's even funnier about that is when he goes down right after that in chapter nine of Second Corinthians, you go read it for yourself later. Are you determined whether or not I'm teaching twisted things? All right, he says, here's the principle. Sow more, reap more. Sow more, reap more. That's the principle. Let me say it like this. Trust God more. Trust you more. You trust God. God will trust you. But I want you, I chose these words on purpose here because I want you to see this. If our possessions don't possess us, think about this word possessions. That's just stuff. But what else do we use this word possession to talk about? Think about it. Demonic possession. See, possession is the word own. Now, in Christ, I do not believe that a, a spirit, a, a demonic spirit can own you. But this is where a lot of Christians don't understand still the activity of demonic possessions. Let me say it like this. Don't understand how they can use their possessions in demonic ways. So this is where, and, and again, I'm, I'm being straight with you. <laughs> There's people like, I don't do Halloween because it's demonic. Okay. But I want you to understand something. Not, t- not tithing is also demonic. See, demonic possession doesn't just show up in scary masks and exorcisms and zombies. You're like, whoo, that's evil. And I'm not saying it's not. But what I am saying is how you have been possessed by your possessions is also demonic and you don't see it. Look at what Paul, let's go back to Acts. You're like, pastor, I didn't see nothing in this, in this text in Acts about money. Okay, I'll show you. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I love it. Paul's like, listen, I wasn't about silver, gold, in the teeth, in the bank account, don't matter, or apparel. He's like, I ain't trying to get up on Gucci, Louis Vuitton. It's really sad to me, but it's quite funny. One of the most popular Christian Instagram accounts is one called Preachers and Sneakers. 
If you haven't seen it yet, it's about preachers wearing these high dollar sneakers and clothes. Oh, listen, and I am not, I'm not trying to act self-righteous here, but I want you to know, man, Walmart is my store. Partly because I got fired from Kmart, but the other reason is, <laughs> the other reason is, I don't know if you've been to the Canton Walmart lately or the Jasper, dang, the Jasper Walmart. I mean, their stuff is banging, y'all, for real. Like, you should go check it out. And I'm not saying it is wrong to spend money on clothes. That's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Let's continue on. Look at verse 34. He says, you yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. He says, I was taking care of myself and to those who are with me. He's a good steward. And now look at verse 35. Here's the point. And all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, that's the title of this week's message, working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, here it is, he quoting Jesus now. This is why people are like, I only look at the red letters. Oh my God. Well, how about when the non-red letters refer to the red letters? It's all his word. It's all Jesus. All right, let me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, Jesus talked about money almost more than any other subject Subject really only to the kingdom of God and hell. Why? Because <laughs> there's nothing like money that can distract you from the kingdom of God and land you in hell. You see how they're connected? Why do you think it's any wonder that Paul told them? You got an inheritance coming. And if you got an inheritance coming... If the earth and everything in it is coming, why are you so stingy now? See, here's what's crazy. All of us as believers a lot of times act like our daddy ain't rich. And that's how Paul argues in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, Christ, even though he was rich, became poor so that in him we might become rich. And this is where we mistake stewardship. We think, and this is what I'm, and this is the twisted thing. See, on two sides of the road is a ditch. So you got some preachers over here, prosperity preachers, like God wants you to be rich right now. And if you'll sow into my ministry for $19.99 a week, then you'll be rich. This ain't that. But then you got this kind of like poverty mindset over here that somehow God wants everybody to be poor, that somehow, like, and this is the mentality of a lot of churches, we're gonna keep the pastor poor so he'll stay humble. Which I'm like, when did, was you appointed to do that? How about you steward your life? And it's always funny, the people that get so bent out of shape about money in the church are almost always those who don't give anything to it. Because they don't think that the money doesn't belong to them. Or let me say it, that they think that it does belong to them. And what we don't understand is our very money on it, printed in the 60s, says in who we trust, God. But the devil, through myths and speculations, will get you so twisted 
when it comes to this subject that he will try to ruin your stewardship. But see, those two ditches is not what Paul says here. He, it's interesting. He doesn't say it's cursed to receive and it's blessed to give. What does he say? It's more blessed to give. So watch this. I want you to hear me. It is blessed to receive. It is blessed to receive. I pray to God, you receive. We get paid on the 15th and the last day of the month, and every time it happens, it blesses my soul. I'm like, whew, again? <laughs> whew. Even blesses my soul, like if the 31st is like on a Sunday and we get paid Friday or two days early, I feel like I'm cheating. <laughs> blesses me. And it is not a curse. Listen, work is not a curse. God gave Adam a job before sin entered the world. It only became a curse after. So if you are able to work, work. If God has given you a mind, use it. It is not cursed to receive. I want you to hear me say that. See, this is where like, are you prosperity or poverty? Neither. I pray to God that you receive. I pray to God that you're a good steward and God blesses you. And here's what's crazy. You read the parables and we went through some of them in this summer, the parable of the talents. Some got little, some got a little more, some got most, right? Well, here's what's crazy. The one who had little was a bad steward and God said, take that and give it to the one who has most. Ain't no equity in that. The one who had more got more. Why? Because that one was a good steward. See, here's what's crazy. This is why I'm saying, this is what's crazy to me. When Christians want to act like they know better than God's word. Malachi 3, the only place in the entire Bible where God says, test me, is in the area of tithes and offerings. Test him. And this is what's funny. People are like, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. You just throw that one out. And, and, and again, by the way, Jesus never, ever, ever, ever lessened an Old Testament command. He upped them. Back there, and he wrote those too, by the way, you commit adultery, sin. New Testament, if it's in your heart, even before you do it with your hands, if it's in your heart, you've already done it. Can't serve two masters, both God and money. You will end up loving one and hating the other. Tell me how you can read this Bible and think that God can't be trusted with your wealth and your worth. It is blessed to receive. It is just more blessed to give. And the whole argument with that is this. You got a bigger inheritance coming. You got a bigger inheritance coming. That's how he argues. Listen to his reasoning. If you'll entrust yourself to God now, if you'll entrust yourself to him and his word, not only will it build you up now, watch this, it will bankroll you forever. And if you believe that, watch this, if you will fight against your possessions possessing you, 
See, what's amazing, when Jesus talked about that, he talked about the spirit of mammon. See, money has a spirit on it. And this is what I'm getting at. Even though a demon can't possess you if you're in Christ, it can possess your possessions and lead you to believe that you should trust them instead of trust him, which is just gonna make you, watch this, a worse stewardship steward now and is going to jeopardize your inheritance. I'm not saying you won't be saved, but what I am saying, the rewards are different. So let me end with this. Last point, work hard in this way. Work hard in this way. We are blessed. Nothing wrong with that. To be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. So this is why we had to spend another week talking about pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention. Devote yourself to the stewardship from God. Believe that you have an inheritance coming. And entrust yourself to God in his word in every area of your life. Yes, including your finances, but not just there. Because what God has given you is not just your wealth. It's your gifts. It's your time. It's your talent. Here's what you should say. God, all this is yours. How do you want me to use it? I want to work in this way. Paul says, in all things, I've given you this example. Work in this way. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would take you at your word. Your word is able to build us up. And it's also able to give us an inheritance. And God, I know this is not something we talk about a lot, but we need to be reminded of it because God, almost the two biggest things that we can get distracted by is doctrine and dollars. We get twisted up. I mean, it's the old adage, power and money. And so God, I pray that we would entrust ourselves to you. Trust ourselves to your word because you are able to build us up and to give us an inheritance. God, we want to be good stewards. But God, I also know that there are people here, people here today that maybe have never heard the truth of 2 Corinthians 9 that says Christ, although he was rich, he became poor for their sake so that in him they might become rich. He traded up everything because God's greatest treasure was getting them back as his children. You gave up everything because you valued our souls. And so God, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never trusted in you, that they would receive. It is blessed to receive. And the first thing we receive is the Holy Spirit.
It was the down payment, the guarantee of what's coming. And so God, I pray right now you would open eyes and save people by the power of your Holy Spirit. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in God, never received the Holy Spirit, been saved, then that can happen right now. So if you wanna pray and trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin to save me. So I'm trusting in him. I'm entrusting myself to him. Would you save me, forgive me? I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. If you're here today and that was the first time you trusted yourself to Jesus, then we want to know that. If you're in one of our physical locations, Canton or Jasper, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? We got men and women that are here going to put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. Thank you. You just became a child of God and everything he has is now yours in Christ. Which leads us to the second part. If you are in Christ, either today or before today, I pray that the word of God has inspired you today to take your stewardship more seriously. To quit getting distracted by speculations and myths and circumstances as a way that that somehow doesn't obligate you to obey God. but entrust yourself to God and his word. Maybe it is in the area of finances. Trust him. Test him and see if he doesn't pour open the windows of heaven like Malachi 3 says. God, I pray that we would trust you and entrust ourselves to you. God, this isn't a message about money. It's a message about our lives and stewarding our lives in such a way where we submit ourselves to you. And here's what I'm trying to say, God. If we'll do that, better is coming. Not only are you not out to kill our fun and our joy, you're out to give us more. Because you gave us the Holy Spirit. There was a down payment of what's coming. If, if this is good, how much better will that be? And so God, I pray we would trust you and obey you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.